And I remember looking to hear what the, the, the prospective lawyer uh, had to say, and, and they said, um, because of how you present, like given that you're a black male, uh, we're going to, uh, based on our professional judgment, we're going to recommend that you plead guilty to a lesser charge. And I remember looking at my wife, lesser charge? Maybe they didn't hear what I said. Why would you say that? I didn't do anything. And they said, yeah, it's not about what you did. It's just, you know, it's just how you present. Welcome to this edition of It's Complicated. My name is Orlando Bourne, and I have a Carter G. Woodson quote that, at times, has shaken me to my core. It goes as follows. If you can control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his action. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he will do. If you make a man feel that he is inferior, you do not have to compel him to accept an inferior status, for he will seek it himself. If you make a man think that he is justly an outcast, you do not have to compel him or order him to the back door. He will go there without being told. And if there's no back door, his very nature will demand one. I had an opportunity to uh, speak at a maximum security prison. And when I was uh, speaking to the, the men that were being housed there, there was a, a gentleman that, that came up to us and he had, you know, really good energy. And we had poured out, we had talked about not letting our circumstances dictate what was possible for us and, and not letting the things that we've been through contribute or control what was possible going forward. And, and as we were sharing, you could see energy in the room and the energy started to build. And towards the end, this young man came up and he was so positive and, and he was smiling and, and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm so excited to be writing letters for young people. I'm writing letters to help them understand that, you know, they don't have to go down the path that, that I went down. They could, they could do amazing things still. And one day I'm going to be able to give this letter to young people. I'm working with the English teacher uh, on, on crafting it. And I, so we were so excited. We're like, yeah, that's what's up, man. Good job. You know, and when you get out, maybe you don't even have to send it as a letter. Maybe you'll be able to share it with the young people yourself. And he looked and his body language shifted and he looked down to the ground and he said, yeah, um, about that. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I'm probably not going to get out of here because I did some things that landed me in here when I was 16, landed me in this maximum security prison, and, I, and, and, and I've done some things since I've been in here that will probably have me be in here for a very long time. And as he said that, you could feel the energy start to drop in the room. And we said, no, 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 listen, listen. Even if that's the case, understand that we've got your back. What is it that you have to say to the young people out there? What do you have to say to people in general? Is, are there any messages that you would want folks to know? And he said, yeah. Um, when you talk to folks on the outside, especially young people, I want them to understand something that I didn't understand when I was growing up. Let them know that it's, it's better for them to walk down a cold and lonely and dark path, be that the right path, than to be carried on the shoulders of screaming, adorning fans down the wrong path. And I'll say it again, it's better for you to walk down a cold and lonely and dark path, be that the right path, than, than be carried on the shoulders of fans screaming down the wrong path, because had I known that, I wouldn't be here. 
And he went on to say that there were some things that were expected of him because of the area and the community that he came from. And it got me thinking about people like us. It's a quote that I heard uh, during a Seth Golden interview uh, when he was talking about the power of narrative. And, and he spoke about the power of, you know, the story of self, the story of us, and then the story of now. But in this notion of, of people like us, it's people like us do things like this. And it harkened back to a point in my journey where I had been assaulted, I had been set up, um, and, and I was facing prison time, and I was, my, my body was physically beaten down, and, and my spirit was, was beaten down. And I remember you know, going through this really difficult time and having to share what happened in order to, to get legal representation. And I remember pouring my heart out and, and, and sharing it, and, and with eyes of expectations, look, looking to hear what the, the, the prospective lawyer uh, had to say. And, and they said, um, because of how you present, like given that you're a black male, uh, we're going to, uh, based on our professional judgment, we're going to recommend that you plead guilty to a lesser charge. And I remember looking at my wife saying, lesser charge? Maybe they didn't hear what I said. Why would you say that? I didn't do anything. And they said, yeah, it's not about what you did. It's just, you know, it's just how you present. And I remember that happening on more than one occasion and then questioning, like, what, what's the expectation of us? Is the expectation that, that, that you know, because of the way I present, based on what this lawyers, these, this set of lawyers is saying and what another set said, is it based on how I present as a black male that I'm automatically assumed to, to be guilty and therefore I should just plead guilty even though I'm innocent and, and everyone knows that I'm innocent? And I started really thinking about the expectation of us. I feel as though there is an expectation that people like us People like me would just accept the deal, whatever deal is put on the table. The people like me would just plead guilty even though I was innocent. The people like me or people like us would just shut up and play ball or shut up and dribble. And what I really was challenged by was this notion that... that there was a system that allowed for this to be an understanding that the folks were expected to just abide by. You know what, you may have things to say, but you can't say it because you're just one person and the system's so big. You know, you may be feeling uncomfortable, but you know, you don't want to say that you're feeling uncomfortable because that may make somebody else feel uncomfortable, so you just need to suck it up. I, I had this, this, this sense that this was an expectation for people like us, and I was challenged by that. Because in order for us to be our best, we need to be our collective best. And if you have folks that are stepping into spaces where they feel they can't be open and honest and authentic and be themselves, then everybody in that space loses. There are a number of studies that have talked about the, the significance of diversity of thought and how it's lent itself to, you know, not just progress within workspaces, but impact on the bottom line, impact on productivity, impact on creativity, when people can step into places and be real and open and honest and not just assume a role of people like us do things like this. Unless those things like this are things that, that create you know, spaces where people can be real and open and honest and authentic. Unless it's a space where people can understand that their voice matters. I uh, had an opportunity to, um, I was at the uh, 
Ontario Police College. And I was uh, walking with a master trainer. We had just left a training session, and he was walking me uh, uh, to, to the, the exit. And we, we were walking and talking about family and walking and talking about weather and walking and talking about sport. And, you know, we were step for step for step for step, and all of a sudden he stopped. And he looked at me and he said, I don't understand, Orlando, how you could be here after all that we did to you. After all that we've put you through, how, you, how, how is it possible that you're here helping us? And for me, the answer was pretty simple. There is no us and them. There's only us. And the moment that we draw the, a line in the sand and say, this is us over here and that's them over there, guess what? We all lose. So if we can look at embracing the thought that there is no us and them and that there's only us, then we can begin embracing the notion that, that Ubuntu, which means I am because you are, is something that we can not only aspire to, but seek to live by. Seek to see the humanity in each other and then work in terms of giving all that we can to stand for that humanity. Even if that means standing in harm's way. Even if that means making someone in the space feel uncomfortable, if that's what it takes to protect the space. Sometimes there's an expectation for, uh, you know, black males to, um, you know, journey one or two paths, right? Either some type of entertainment, either music entertainment or sports from an entertainment perspective. Uh, so I remember being, I was at a conference in New Jersey and we were talking about branding and talking about positioning. And, and one of the leaders is like, why don't you, why don't you, like you're a pro athlete, why don't you lead with that? Why don't, and, and, and I was kind of wrestling with it. Um, and, and I love sports and I love all that it's brought, but I, I'm more than that. I'm more than that. And I, I don't want to be I don't want to be put in a in a box. I remember giving a presentation. I was in a master's program uh, in, in university, and and um, you know I gave a presentation. It was uh, like an executive MBA type program, and you know the week after I gave the presentation, and I was a little dynamic, and I gave good energy, and I was like, hey, you see me, right? So I gave good energy, the, and and had great conversation with the audience. And the following week in class, I had, you know, there was a news, university newspaper, and I was on the pa in the paper for sport. And I'm, I remember one of my classmates, she's an executive from Chicago, and she's like, she's looking at the newspaper, then she looks at me. She looks at the paper, then she looks at me. She says, oh my God, this is you? And I said, oh yeah, you know, that's, you know. And she said, but I can't believe it's you, like you're, you're a football player? And I said, yeah. And she said, but, but, but you could speak. You're so eloquent. And in that moment, I was like, I didn't know if I should be grateful or, or be offended. I, like, I really didn't know. I said, well, like, well, what's that supposed to I, I'm not really sure what you mean. She said, I, I mean, I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not saying anything about athletes. I'm just, I didn't expect, like, the way you presented. Like, it's, it's Wow. And that was part of the reason why sometimes I, I don't lead with that, with the fact that I'm an athlete, because I'm more than, than an athlete. Actually, all athletes are more than just athletes, right? And, and sometimes 
people are seen for what they do and not necessarily seen for who they are. And, and when I think about what's possible, when we talk about people like us, it's about seeing the humanity in everybody. I don't care what they're performing and what they're doing and what level they're on or what level they're not or if they're performing well or if they've fallen off or if they're in a funk. See the humanity in the person first. And let's start there. Because when people like us do that, there are no limits for us. So I'm going to come back to this notion of what is possible for people like us, the collective us. The reality is we have a choice. People like us can do all that we can with what we have because what we have is enough. People like us could hold steadfast to the humanity that we see in each other and, and to serve that humanity and to honor that humanity and to be uncomfortable if that's what it takes. People like us recognizing that there's no us and them are willing to have complicated conversations, uncomfortable conversations that may challenge mindsets, that may shift perspectives, that may that speak to our core. If that's what it takes to move the needle, and people like us, the challenge is on the table. It's our time to do something with what we have and recognize that what we have is enough. To honor the fact that really and truly there is no us and them. There's only us. And as we seek to live out this spirit of Ubuntu, it's putting in work. It's understanding that, that we are called to a greater purpose. We are called to move the needle on possibilities in terms of how we interact with each other, in terms of how we live, with, you know, in terms of how we serve, and in terms of how we show up on a day-to-day-to-day basis. We can do that because understanding that it's not somebody else that's going to do it. It's us. There's no one over there. It's, we are over there. That's us over there, and this is us right here. There's no us and them. There's only us. And it's with that that we recognize that it's a journey. The journey is not always nice and easy and smooth. It's sometimes bumpy and rocky, but it's worth it. It's necessary and it's complicated. Greatness is possible when we make a decision to see the humanity in each other and then to call each other to the highest level of possibilities as it relates to that humanity. Yeah, sometimes it takes looking a little bit deeper but that's what's necessary. 